Today I'm going to talk, the title of my message is The Unseen Enemy, and this is a phrase we've heard a lot having to do with the global pandemic, but the unseen enemy today that I'm going to talk about are certain isms, are philosophies that we don't realize impact our life. I mean, we are influenced by forces that we just don't even recognize, and by describing those forces, now we're better positioned to recognize their influence in our life. And so what we're going to do, we're going to just look at three verses in the book of Galatians, and and we'll read all of them now, and then I'm going to address those, not necessarily sequentially, but you'll you'll see why we're going to address them as they relate to the points. And I have two points today, not three, not four, but two. So I hope that puts you at ease already. So, and they're two good points, all right? I mean, two points that you're going to enjoy. And so I believe that. Let's stand together if you're able to, to honor God's word. And for me, it will be honoring God's word, New King James Version style. Yet, yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy on our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, I'm going to give you some insight into kind of my preaching and my way of life. I'm going to give you some philosophies that I have, and these are axioms, kind of wise little ways to live. And because I love you, I'm not going to trick you. So let me just tell you right now that that you would be tricked by what's about to happen, but don't be tricked. And that's kind of the whole point of Galatians anyway. Don't be tricked. So I'm going to share with you a couple of phrases that you've probably heard me preach before, that I believe in because they have wisdom, but they're not absolutely true all the time. You following me with that? So they're they're true and they're good, but they're not always always going to work. But it's not to have sometimes as we adopt philosophies and we think, well, this is always going to work, but it's not necessarily going to work for Galatians chapter two today. So let me just tell this, because when I tell you what I'm about to tell you, it's going to feel good and you're going to want to nod your head yes. You're going to want to agree with me because you've agreed with me before when I preach this. So here it is. All right. So here's, here's a statement that is a big part of my preaching and ministry. Church needs to be known for what we are for, not just what we are against. That's a good statement right there, isn't it? Yeah, so church needs to be known. We need to be known for what we're for, not just for what we're against. I agree with that. I've preached that before. Something else that I've talked about a lot. As the church, we are called not to be on the defensive, but to go upon the offensive because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And the gates of hell are a defensive position. So we are going on offense and we are going to go on attack. Yeah, that's good too, isn't it? Yeah, I, I even heard an amen. Even when I told you not to amen, I heard. That's because it's, it's true. It, is, it actually is true. But, it, but it's, it's, it's giving a perspective of a, a kind of a positive, hey, let's go perspective. Because my leadership philosophy, and this is one that you're gonna, I know you're going to agree with, leader, most people, 98% of you out there, you are attracted to a leader who is positive and hopeful. 
Even when we're going through adversity, I mean, you want someone who's hopeful to say, hey, okay, let's say it's in your company. Sales are down. Cuts are going to be made. But the leader says, but guys, we're going to get through this. We're going to come together. I'm going to, I'm going to take a cut. We're going to do everything we can to protect your families. And guys, I promise we're going to get through this. That sense of hope, that sense of optimism, optimism pushes us forward. Okay, so these are philosophies of mine. Like when I preach and when I teach and, and, and when I lead, I try to lead with optimism. I try to lead with hope. I try to go on the offensive. I try to stand for what we are for, not just what we are against. But when, as you're going verse by verse through the scripture, that cuts through personal philosophy. Galatians chapter one, now we're in chapter two, is a defense of the gospel. And it is defensive and rightfully so because the church was on attack and the church, excuse me, the church was under attack and the church today is still under attack. And we have to identify forces that are attacking the church or we can't be positive or we cannot be hopeful if we don't know what's against us. You have to know your enemy to overcome the enemy. And this, this is certainly clear in the whole book of Galatians. And you'll hear me say this every week I teach on this. This is a book about legalism. That is Judaism. Those who, Judaizers, were not Judaism, but Judaizers. Judaizers were those who believed Jesus was the Messiah. Like we're good with Jesus. But you have to also become Jewish in your practice to believe in Jesus. You you have to observe the law. Specifically, circumcision is addressed today, but also other Jewish customs. So the idea of this is it's Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus these other things you must do to become saved. And so we're going to by scripture, by Paul's teaching, which was affirmed by the other apostles all through the New Testament, we're going to look at those different different uh, forces, not only legalism, but other forces that are against the church today. Here's my first point today. We're going to be halfway done with the sermon. I'm going to tell you this. Glory to God, right? No, that's not true. Y'all want me to go on and on, right? All right. Opening story. By the way, can, can we get, uh, this will be a cool thing we got to do for the ushers. We haven't used ushers in a while. Like we could just like pass out um, um, Americanos to everybody, right? You know, like, hey, if you're sleepy halfway through the sermon, like Americano distribution, here we go. And so I know that, you know, that's just everybody. Hey, I'll take a shot, man. Take a shot of caffeine. Here we go. Point number two. Let's do it. All right. Thank you for the laugh in the sound booth. All right. So, all right, you're getting there, man. Come on, you're getting there. Now, now I've already raised the barrier for myself or, the, or the, the limit, the bar for myself. Here's number one. Forces we are comfortable with oppose the gospel. This was a very carefully crafted statement because I know all of you would agree with me that there are forces that oppose the gospel. Yeah, stuff is against the message of Jesus. You agree with me already. But here's the part that you may not recognize or you may not readily agree with me. Forces you like are opposed to the gospel of Jesus. Forces that you're comfortable with, forces that are so much a part of your life that you can't even distinguish between them. In fact, they're forces that are so strong that when they're used within uh, the context of the church, we don't even recognize the differences in them. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about because Paul is saying, okay, I want us to wake up. I want to defend the gospel 
I want to thin the truth and I want to identify some forces that are against that. So now we read verses three through five of Galatians two, but let's, let's zero in on verse four, okay, on, for this first point. Verse four says it this way. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedoms we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. So the last three weeks of preaching comes to this here. This matter arose, this whole idea of Judaizers who are trying to undermine Paul's apostleship, trying to undermine Paul's message, which is the message of the gospel. So this arose because people infiltrated the church. In this situation, this was what we call legalism, and legalism is still in the church today. Legalism is this. Let me just give you a definition. It's the doctrine that salvation is earned through works. Okay, so salvation is earned by doing good things. And I want to tell you, it's a very attractive version of the gospel. Why? Because it makes people act right. All right, it does, okay? When I was a youth pastor, I preached legalism because I love my kids so much. I wanted them to make right choices. Uh, it's kind of a joke because teenagers, if they take any kind of license, you know, any kind of freedom in Christ, they'll, they'll experiment with the world. But the better we preach and the better we understand the gospel, the more sure you should be of your salvation. If I, if I were to use human manipulation and human persuasive skills and use the false doctrine of legalism. I believe that in most services, a service like this, that we could have people outwardly respond. Like I I believe in 25, 30 minutes from now, I can make a lot of you, Lord forbid this to happen, doubt your salvation. Because legalism is just a powerful force. And you're like, well, am I really saved? You're right. I'm not all, I don't always have these great thoughts and I have a bad temper. Maybe I'm not saved and I don't want to go to hell. Let me raise my hand. Legalism is very effective to getting people to raise their hands. Okay. Legalism is very effective in controlling people. But Galatians lets us know that legalism is not the message of Christ. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus plus anything else. It's Jesus and him alone that that purchases and gives us our salvation. And some of us are even uncomfortable hearing that. It's like, yeah, I know the New Testament says that, but wouldn't it be so good if, if, if there were still some attachments that would make the world a better place? I remember hearing a, a guy, um, he, he wasn't really preaching, he was taking up an offering. He was a young pastor, and this was years ago at another church. And he, come, he came up and he worked the crowd up a little bit. And, he's, and he, said, he said this, He starts out, and and I'm going to mimic him now. He says, don't tell me that you're a Christian if you don't read your Bible every day. And the crowd kind of went, yeah, all right, that's cool. And then he, he he got going a little bit more. Don't tell me you're a Christian if you're not praying every day. And then then the the crowd built up a little bit. He went on and said, don't tell me you're not a Christian if you're not going to church every week. And now by this time, everyone who went to church every week, was pretty excited as they held their Bibles and cheering him along. And then he said this, and this was part of the catch. And he said, and don't tell me you're not a Christian if you don't tithe. Well, there wasn't quite as much cheering then because he was wrong about the tithe, but he was also wrong about the other parts too. Now, 
getting people to show up at church and getting people to, to give their money and tithe and getting people to read their Bible and prayer, if you want to scare, scare them to hell, that's an effective way to do it. But it's not what the gospel is. We do all of those things out of response to understanding what Jesus did for us. So it's not Jesus plus Bible reading, Jesus plus tithing, Jesus plus attending church. It is Jesus all in all. And once you realize how great the love of the Father is and how the Father has touched your heart and the Father has taken you from a place where you are chained in sin and he's freed you and the Father has forgiven you and welcomed you back into the kingdom and back into your home, those things aren't issues anymore. You want to go to church, you want to pray, you want to read the word, all that type of stuff. And so you go for it. But guys, listen, I love Jesus and I don't read my Bible every day. I read it about five times a week. Some weeks I read it seven days a week. I feel judged by you right now. Some of you are like, I'm more spiritual than Pastor Aaron. I read it seven days a week. That's why I had the five by five plan. It's 25 times a month. That one year Bible, man, that's hard, man. No margin for error. 365 days a week. And you guys who do that, wait and keep doing it. Don't let my, don't let, you know, my standard uh, decrease your Bible reading. But here's the point, is I try to live the Bible. So is it more important to read the Bible or to read the Bible and live the Bible? So if you're like reading the Bible and you're like, today is day 247 in the daily Bible reading plan and your family comes down and you say, shut up everybody, I gotta read the Bible. You little idiots and punks, I wanna read the Bible. See, it's not, it's not about reading the Bible as much as reading and living the Bible. So I, I look at reading the Bible kind of like, you know, walking or jogging three times a week minimum. Five times a week's a good week. Seven times a week, you're going to make the neighbors jealous, but way to go, right? So that's kind of how it is. It's like an exercise. The point is, reading the Bible doesn't save you. It makes you understand the one who has already saved you. And this whole idea of legalism, Jesus plus something else. Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control the behavior of making people doubt their salvation and doubt Jesus so they do what I want them to do. We have to be really careful. And I will say this, so, so you're not too hard on people. When people start preaching, almost everyone who starts preaching is a legalist. So just, just keep that in mind. I didn't say that the first service, but like, like almost everyone, including me, like I started preaching and I was telling my youth group, I was 14 years old. I'm like, you guys need to get right with God. You guys, I know what you're doing. You're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, and, and, and it, it's just, that's how it starts. But but that's not, that God matures us, right? And, and, and a mature presentation of the gospel is not legalistic. So this is clearly what they were dealing with in Galatians. But I'm gonna take this now as an opportunity to expand this thought with other scriptures. There are some other isms that we're dealing with today that they did deal with in the first century, but guys, it's very relevant today. And, and here's an ism that I tell you a lot. It, it comes through my preaching a lot because 15 years ago, when I understood this concept, it changed the way I looked at the gospel. And it is humanism. Humanism is something that is so pervasive, it's so part of us, we can't even tell the difference when we're swimming in humanism. So what is humanism at its most basic definition? It's attaching prime importance to humanity rather than the divine. 
So it's saying man is the answer. Human wisdom is the answer. And there's no room for God. And humanism is all around us. Guys, I'm involved in education, even in Christian education. So much of it is, is seeped in humanism that you have to discern what's of God and what's not of God. Humanism is in our political system. Humanism is, is so in our entertainment. Humanism is totally attached to uh, the stuff that, that our kids are feeding off of all the time. In fact, social media itself is, a, is, a, is humanistic most of the time. It's like, hey, look at me. Look at that angle I have. You know, I look great. So that, that's a form of putting man in the center. So, so this, this whole thought, I, I saw this video clip, and I almost was going to show it today, but it would have been too divisive to show you. But it was a, a cable news network host. And this, this, this person literally said this. I mean, I, I saw it with my own eyes and heard it. He said, talking about the pandemic, he said, help is not coming from above. It's not coming, it's coming from one another. I mean, he literally said, help is coming from one another, not from above. This is a rejection, a rejection, a humanistic expression of we're going to find the answer and we're not going to humble ourselves to ask God for the answer. Science is important, but science is being idolized. Science was birthed out of Christianity. The early scientists of Three and four hundred years ago were believers, were Christians who understood who God was. And now uh, science has become this word that means something other than it's supposed to be. It's a process is what it is. Science is a process. It's a process we go through to verify theories and verify truth. And, and, and the, Lord, the Lord has given us wisdom to understand that. But now when we are saying things like science is the answer, and we're going to trust in science. Guys, that is humanistic. And that is excluding the God who birthed science. And so we have to be really careful about that. So I want us now to go to Colossians chapter 2, starting with verse 6. And I want to say this as a warning to you. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, being rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. Good news, all of you are doing that today here at church. You're doing that by being here today. But here's the warning. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Now, humanism didn't come around until the Renaissance at 1700s, but this idea in Greek philosophy here that the, don't be taken captive by humanistic uh, the, the humanistic mindset. If, if you can put that last scripture back up there, thank you. That will, that'll help me there. Don't be taken captive by human tradition based off the elements of the world, based off only that which is physical, only those things which are known. That's the only thing we trust. Uh, we don't trust in the spiritual. We don't trust in the supernatural. We don't trust in the myth, mystical. We don't trust in those things. We only trust in those things we can physically verify. And, and this is, we know that the world is physical and because God created the world. I mean, he, he is manifesting himself through Christ in the physical. He's manifesting himself through Christ through the physical church. And so physical isn't bad. I mean, physical isn't a bad thing. The elements of the world are not bad, but we don't trust in the elements of the world. 
We, we, we look to the spiritual. We look to the things of the Lord. So here's another ism that's closely connected to humanism. And, and I want you to, I'm again emphasizing this because I, Aaron Allison, I'm affected by these in ways, in, on days, in ways that I don't even discern because it's so part of our psyche in America. Here's the third one, secularism, being secular. And we're going to call that, the scripture calls it the spirit of the world. Okay. Secular means this in its most basic definition. Secular means not pertaining to or connected to religion. And so now we, we live, now this has been happening for about 70 years now, 60, 60 years for sure. This idea that outside of Sunday morning and outside of home Bible studies, that all of the institutions should be secular, nothing pertaining to religion. Now, that, that, that mindset hasn't taken root because faith doesn't come or isn't prevented from policies. It comes from people's hearts. So even our leaders who know the Lord, you hear that language come through them. And, and almost every one of our, our leaders, I, I can't say this for sure because I haven't, I haven't actually studied this, but I know every leader that we've had since 1980, when I have a memory, has quoted scripture at some time or in some way because we're not just secular people. We're not secularly, totally disconnected from religion or God. These things interact with one another. But the spirit of the world says anything spiritual should not be. Anything, anything connected to religion should stay out of our lives, stay out of the corporate world, stay out of the public sphere. Anything like that should stay out of our lives. And that's impossible to do because it's in our hearts. Again, it's not in our policies. And it's not that it's in our documentation. It's in our hearts. And so we see this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14 says it this way. Now we have not received the spirit of the world. And I'm just going to, again, I'm going to just let you superimpose the word, the secular there. Secular means disengaged from religion. That's the spirit that we're under in many, many of our sectors and mindsets in the United States of America today. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit, look at that big S there, the Holy Spirit, who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given us by God. Now, this next scripture is going to give you such insight. Verse 13, this is going to set some of you free. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit. Now look at this next phrase, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. I just want you, first of all, to be free of this. Sometimes when you're explaining spiritual things, unspiritual people won't get it. So if people don't get you or get your perspective or agree with scripture, unless God has changed their life, why would they? So we can't be irritated with non-believers who don't agree with our perspective because unless the spirit gives them understanding, unspiritual people don't understand spiritual truth. And, and I hope that kind of helps relax you guys a little bit. Keep speaking spiritual truth, but if it's not received, it's not you. It's because those people either haven't been exposed yet to the Holy Spirit or have resisted the Holy Spirit. So finishing up that scripture, we'll go to verse 14. 
But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He's not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. So that just reinforces the point I've already spoke. So we we have to understand that moving into a post-Christian America, there was a time, some of you remember, not all of you, where there was a baseline of understanding with a majority, a vast majority of Christians, people claiming to be Christian in America. Uh, Now we still are, the United States of America still is a majority Christian nation, but those numbers have dropped significantly uh, to about 60%. Now, if my statistics, I remember them correctly. How many know that statistics are only accurate when you're actually looking at them? So anytime someone gives you a statistic, don't believe them until you verify yourself. So if you say it confidently enough, people will believe it. Isn't that scary? Isn't that scary? So uh, trust but verify, right? That's always a good thing. All right, let me give you one more ism, but it's an important one because it's an ism that all of us are susceptible to, but we may not realize. Hedonism. Hedonism, and there, there could be more of these, but this is a good start. Hedonism, hedonism is this belief, that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. Pleasure or happiness is the highest good. This doesn't always mean um, like willful sin, even though it certainly can mean that. I was, I was hearing, a, a, a listened earlier just last week about this new generation of people in Eastern Europe who do not remember communist rule. And these younger people, people I'm assuming are in their 20s and early 30s, they just want to enjoy life. They don't want to talk about the fact that their parents and grandparents were under communism and they don't want to be activists. They want to just enjoy life. And that is a very subtle form of hedonism Uh, What also happens is when we disregard moral restraints just for pleasure, just to enjoy what we want to enjoy. Let's look what the scripture says about that. And we'll go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Now look at this verse, verse two. We too all previously lived among them. And this is how our lives were before Jesus. Our fleshly desires carrying out the inclination of our flesh and thoughts. That's a really interesting choice of words. It brings us back to the days of Noah where mankind followed the inclinations of their own hearts. But this idea is left without morality, left without God's standards and God's word. We, we, with, without Jesus and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we carry out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So as people who have been redeemed by Jesus, we're sons, we're daughters, we're on our way to heaven. We're assured of our salvation because of Jesus. And when we have a thought that is contrary to the word of God, we think, oh, I'm gonna take that captive. I'm not gonna think about that anymore. Or we have an impulse to do something that would bring us pleasure or fulfillment, but we know it violates God's word. We say, I'm gonna say no. I'm just gonna say no. I'm gonna do that because I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm in the family. We don't just 
do what feels good. That's what hedonism says. We just do what feels good to us. Sometimes something that feels good and feels right, but it opposes God's will for our life. We just say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going I'm not going to make that business decision that's going to lay off families that may bring me more money, but may cause a disruption in other families. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to participate in something that, that increases um, human trafficking in this world. I, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to participate in that at whatever level that is, whether that's not participating in prostitution or not participating in pornography. I'm, I'm not going to do that because this hurts people. This, this is a bad thing for the world. And even though I might enjoy participating in that, I'm not going to do it because that's, that's not good for me and it's not good for the world. You know, I'm not going, I'm not going to turn my back on my spouse. I'm not going to abandon my parents in their time of need as they're aging. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. It would be easier just to do it, but I'm not going to do that. And so we have to be honest that we can't follow. Our, God doesn't want us to follow. Not, not, it's not even a salvation issue. It's a sanctification issue. It's a, it's a part of us that are pursuing everything God wants. And there's times when there's stuff we want to do that we just have to say no to. And guys, that's not just for young people here. That's for senior citizens too. Man, 40 years ago, I somehow watched a movie, Cocoon. Man, that thing has come true in this century, man. I mean, I mean, older people, they, they have temptations too that they have to, uh, you know, put under the Lordship of Christ. I just got to say, even though you're the cool service, 9 a.m. service laughed hysterically at that joke. You, know, you guys let me down on that one. But maybe the Holy Spirit was just working in your heart and you didn't want to say amen. The two people who laughed were Chip and Beth, who sat through the sermon the first time. So thank you. You got to have staff members who prime the pump a little bit, right? I don't have Josh in here today. He's teaching the, he's teaching the uh, junior hires. Have you noticed that with this service, I'm mean, I need to get you guys engaged a little bit. You know, I see Josh over there. I'll just throw a, jo- a joke Josh's way. And his little fan club's not here with him today either. Now, now we have Brooke. She's the head of Josh's fan club. So she's there holding down the Sakus corner. But anyway, I have to do that every once in a while. So this is, these are things that, that God has called us to. Here's point number two, point number two. And I've kind of got my notes out of order here. When I watch myself on video, I have to watch, I watch myself to try to improve as a communicator. Well, this is what happened. I've lost a whole page of my notes. So, hey, that's what, that's what happens. Hold on a second. Put the video on pause. Yeah. All right. So when I watch myself preach on video, I've noticed that like I do this sometimes, I touch stuff like that. I need like a zapper, like Eric Poulin, like when I do that, you know, just zap me. That'll, that'll keep my hands free. So I'm about to, Pastor Chip, since you're the business pastor, can I order one of those microphones this week? Okay, good. I need my hands free again. So we're going to go that way too. All right, here we go. Here's number two. Number two, the church is a resistance to preserve gospel truth. The church is a resistance to preserve gospel truth. And we're going to get to those scriptures in a second. All of those isms that I shared with you, you have to agree that they are not good for you if you're going to oppose them. So one of the problems is if we kind of like secularism, we we kind of like a life where sometimes God is involved and other times he's not Are we like a life where we're like, I'm in the grace of Jesus, so I'm just going to do what feels good. I'm going to participate in hedonism because I'm covered under grace anyway. 
If we don't identify those as negatives, as legalism, as negatives, then we won't oppose, oppose them. One of the things I'm hoping to do through this teaching is like you can leave today or you can turn off your computer or phone today and, and say, okay, those things are troublesome and I need to watch out for them in, in my life. But they're subtle. They're the unseen enemy. I like an enemy that's seen. Like in Star Wars, you know, the opening clip of Star Wars, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. I mean, they, they made it clear that Darth Vader's bad, right? I mean, you just knew right away. Like he's all black, right? You can't see him. Everything on him is black, you know. And I'm like, I was so scared the first time I saw him. I'm like, dude, that guy's scary. I knew he is bad. And then what happened, then what happened is the general in the Imperial Army was arguing with him. And he just went like that. And all of a sudden he started choking, you know, like choking. I thought, man, this is so scary. Um, That experience became true to life to me this year. You know, I got to be honest, you know, containment's been a little rough on my weight. And I'm just not happy about that right now. I'm at an all-time high in some areas I don't want to be wedding or funeral. Uh, But but my first one of those that I had, you know, I went ready to button to bring my my dress shirt together. And I thought about Star Wars. I was like, (laughs) I had to go buy me a new shirt. It fits great here. It's baggy everywhere else, man. So what's up with that? I got to get a custom shirt. So you knew Darth Vader's bad. Darth Vader's bad, man. He has a bad voice, bad outfit. He's choking people. And so you're ready to get on board. I'm like, I'm with Luke Skywalker. I'm with Princess Leia. I'm with Han Solo. Everything's very, very clear. And so this is the problem with all of these isms that I've told you is that we kind of like them. They're comfortable because it's the world we live in. We're just, we're comfortable. And it's really scripture and the fellowship of God's people and all the stuff that we do as the church that pushes back against that. So I want us now, we've read verse four, but going back to the the text today, let's go to Galatians chapter two, verse three. And he's, again, I've preached a few weeks about this idea of uh, Judaizers. Now he says this, Not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Now, this is important to remember because in Acts 16 that uh, Paul circumcised Timothy as somewhat of a compromise, but Timothy was half Jewish. And so it made sense that he would be circumcised. But now Paul's saying, we're not going to compromise. Titus is my partner. We know from Scripture that that he called Titus a partner. He sent Titus to some difficult problem areas to solve problems. Titus was fully in the church and a leader in the church. And the Judaizers were saying, well, he needs to be, it's Jesus plus circumcision. Titus isn't fully a Christian yet. And now reading that scripture again, go back to verse three. That's why we started out this text saying, not even Titus who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he's a Greek. Now go to verse five, since we've already talked about verse four. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. So the reason that Paul took a stand and Titus was his stand, he said, I am, I am standing with Titus. Titus is not gonna be circumcised. And it's not because that Paul was just trying to win the argument or he wasn't trying to power up or he wasn't trying to get more influence in the church. He was defending the gospel that you and I enjoy today. Okay, he's defending the gospel because most of us 
possibly all of us are Gentile. And so we are Titus. And so when he, when he stood up for Titus, he stood up for us. And he said that, listen, it is Jesus and what Jesus did for us, that is where salvation comes from. Not by observing days of the week, not by observing Levitical law. You know, it's not by a physical circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart. When Paul stood up for Titus, he stood up for us. And when Paul defended the gospel, it wasn't for self-interest. And it wasn't that he was looking out for his buddy. He was saying the purity of the gospel protects us. Let's look at verse five one more time. We did not give up and submit to these people. We didn't submit to these Judaizers even for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel, which is Jesus alone, would be preserved for you. Well, as we move to closing and as Pastor Aubrey makes his way up here, I want to just answer this question, how? How do we do that? Well, here's the good news. The first part of the how you're doing right now, and that is participation. Participation is how you do it. Participating in the church. And so whether you're watching online, if you're still watching online, thank you because studies have said most people watch like five minutes of a sermon and then go on with their day. So if you're still watching now, you're participating. And if you're here on campus, you're participating. And I wanna, want you to know that participation matters. Not just for you, it matters for me. Listen, when somebody sits on that second row there, like, you know, Chip, you're paid to sit on the second row so you don't get any credit. But like, like man, Mary, you sit on the second row and, and Nikki, you sit, and I'm like, that helps me. It helps my sermon actually. Like if we just have one long layer in the back, I don't know if some of you need to sit in the back, but like it's depressing when it looks like a bombshell has hit the front of the church. You know, I'm like, hey, I'm preaching to you out there. So just participating means something. Like you being here means something, but it doesn't just mean something to you. It means something to me, but it means something to the next generation. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, a hero in the faith said, a righteous man lives for the next generation. Guys, you're building the church through your participation. You're showing an example to people. You're showing an example to kids and grandkids and not even your kids and grandkids, to other people's kids and grandkids. You're showing an example to young women who may be single someday and they're seeing a single lady come to church. You're showing the example of someone who who it may be difficult physically for them to get to church, but you're coming anyway, or you're watching online anyway, and you're making God a priority, and you're participating. But here's the second part of that. It's not just participating, it's transformation. And remember my illustration about like reading the Bible, but then chewing people out. So it's not just coming to church, it's letting God change your life at church. And guys, you're doing that. This, this service I'm seeing transformation. I'm seeing God change your life. And he does that in us as we continue to submit to him. I want you to join me if you're able to stand in an attitude of prayer. Let's do that today. I just got all honest with you guys about all kinds of stuff today just to, just to keep you engaged, so to speak. And now I believe the Holy Spirit was working in all of that, working in all of that for us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for freedom in the Lord. We thank you, God, for preserving the book of Galatians. You preserved the book of Galatians so that we wouldn't live in legalism. God, I know it's a tricky subject. I mean, there's, there's, there's part of me that, and there's part of us that are not comfortable with the freedom we have in Christ because of all of the, the snares and traps because, you know, our, our will is weak in itself. But God, we trust Jesus completely and we believe in transformation. Jesus, you're transforming us from the inside out, moment by moment 
day by day, sermon by sermon. I mean, every time you go to your devotions, transformation doesn't usually happen in one moment. There are moments that are transformational, but transformation is a lifetime. It's decades of walking with Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus. He hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on him. You are saved. You are assured of your salvation, and that ought to make you run with the Lord. That ought to make you fly with the Lord. No longer are you chained down by condemnation or shame or doubt or guilt or worry or or the sense of brooding, like, will I get in or will I get out? In humility, we say and we repeat the scriptural truth that Jesus paid it all. So all to him I owe. And he is the center of our faith and he is the center of our salvation. And so we rest in that today. Now I'm gonna pray a prayer of confession to the Lord. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me. It's a prayer I pray almost every day that just calls upon the triune God to work on this earth. And it's a way also for us to dedicate the elements to the Lord and for us to move into a time of communion. And then I will give our benediction here momentarily. And Pastor Aubrey is going to lead us in worship and you can dismiss yourself as you are ready. Or I know some of you might have some occupational needs or some of you may have some um, so, some some reasons why you need to leave now, and that's fine too. So just when your heart's ready or when you need to go, after my benediction, we'll do that. But uh, as we pray together, I want to invite you to pray the prayer that I'm praying to the Lord that's a prayer of confession to him. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Father, many have taken the communion elements or maybe they'll even get them as they leave today. We dedicate, Lord, that which represents your body and represents your blood. And Lord, we thank you that your presence is within that. Father, we ask that through our small groups today, through our Awana this Wednesday night, through our youth service this Wednesday night, that your glory and your presence and your growth would be upon us. And we thank you for that. Before I give the benediction, let me just give further words of instruction. I'll be down here at the front if you want to say hello or if you want prayer. Uh, you're welcome to pray with someone that you came with. You're welcome to come down to the altar. You're welcome to be by yourself. Um, I won't give further instructions on communion. You can take that when you're ready. But at the conclusion of my prayer, our service will be formally dismissed. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. I love you. Jesus loves you. Let's worship him. Have a great week in the Lord.